Uh, if you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians 6 is where we're going to start today. Um, so we've been in this series uh, that we've called A New You for the last seven weeks, and this week makes eight weeks. Um, and it's basically been a study of the book of Ephesians. Um, and, and the reason we call it A New You is because in the book of Ephesians, it's actually a letter that Paul wrote to some new believers in Ephesus, but in this book, in this letter, he basically tries to get these new believers to understand what their new life looks like as believers. Um, and so like the first three chapters were, um, and I'm real echoey up here, what's up with that? Is that okay. Um, like the first three cha- chapters were... Um, more doctrine and theology, trying to get them to understand some spiritual truths. Um, and then the, the last three chapters are, are, more, are more practical. They're, they're like, now that you know who you are in Christ, now that you understand this new you, what does that look like in everyday life? Right? And he, he talks about our relationships, and um, he talks about a lot of other things. Um, and, and so today we're, we're sort of concluding our, um, we're concluding our, our, this series um, as we... Um, get to the last half of chapter 6. Um, have you guys enjoyed the series? Yeah? Have you guys learned some things? I, I have to admit, I learned a few things in, in studying for this. Uh, it's, been, it's, uh, it's amazing how you think you can know, you, you know, you've read a, a, <laughs> a book of the Bible a hundred times and you think you know everything in it and you can always learn something new. So that's pretty cool. Um, I also learned a few other things. Um, you know, we started this series, we, we were trying to make, be more creative and do some other things, and I learned that most of you don't hashtag. Um, there's a couple of you do. We tried to create a hashtag campaign to get you guys to, to hashtag, and um, I also learned that, um, I also learned to never announce to the congregation that I'm going to lose weight in, uh, along with the series. <laughs> you know, we said at the beginning that I was going to do that, and Man, I didn't even come close. It was worse than making a New Year's resolution, so I'm never doing that again. Um, we also did the, the text thing. Um, how many of you have really enjoyed that? Okay, good. Um, it, it's, it's been amazing to see some of the interaction. Um, you know, we started this text group to just sort of, sort of just like encourage you um, to, be a, to, to walk and live like the new you. And um, it's been amazing to see some of the interaction. Um, last week I kind of fell off a little bit because I, 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 well, I was planning on having someone else do it and then I forgot and it was just, anyway. And so one of you guys called me out on it. <laughs> and, um, and then I think it was Friday. I didn't get to it right away on Friday and somebody else texted something and then it created this whole big conversation. It was like, oh man, look, they're already being the church themselves. They're encouraging each other. So it was awesome. Um, so, I don't know if we'll... Do you guys want to continue doing that? Yes. Yes. <laughs> okay. All right, we'll figure out a way to continue doing that. Um, um, yeah. Um, but today we're going to wrap up our series, and we're going to begin uh, in the middle of Ephesians 6, uh, beginning with verse 10. This is where Paul starts to conclude his letter. He says, A final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies 
of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor, so that you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will, stand, you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news, so that you'll be fully prepared. In addition to all these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery, ar- fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. And pray for me too. Ask God to give me the right words so I can boldly explain God's mysterious plan that the good news is for Jews and Gentiles alike. I am in chains now, still preaching this message as God's ambassador. So I pray that I will keep on speaking boldly for him as I should. Okay, so Paul, and then there's a few other comments he makes about, that are like personal comments between people that in Ephesus and with him. So, so as Paul brings this letter to a close, he basically tells these new believers, don't be a spiritual wimp. See, throughout the, the first half of the letter, Paul has gone to great lengths to help them understand um, their new nature as children of God. You know, the scripture says that we, we are new creations in Christ, and he's, he's worked to help them understand their new nature, that, that through Christ, not anything you did on your own, we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. That's what chapter 1 tells us. We're blessed with every spiritual blessing. Not a few, not half a measure, but every, every spiritual blessing we've been given. We've been adopted into God's family as his very own kids. Just by trusting in Jesus, by believing in his sacrifice, God adopts us as his very own kids. We've been given the, the spirit of God, the very spirit of God to live with inside us. That's amazing, right? God has given you all this new and amazing power. God's given you all this new and amazing resources. He's given you right standing with God. And now he's saying, don't be a spiritual wimp. He says a final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Now remember, one of the things that Paul prayed in the first chapter um, is that they would understand, he says, I, I pray that you would understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and has seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. So the same power that raised Christ from the dead, it's pretty amazing power, right? It lives inside of us. It's available to us. Um, and now he's asking us, to walk in that power to, that, that's available to us. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Right? Not our own power, not our own strength, but in his mighty power. Let me, um, 
Uh, let me illustrate this. Let me show you what I mean. Um, who do we have here? Nikki, would you come here? Come here for a second. And uh, would you come here, Casey? All right. Here we have Nikki. Do you even weigh 100 pounds? Almost. Almost. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. That was kind of rude. <laughs> She's like tiny, right? <laughs> and then we have Casey here. Dang, dude, that arm is massive. I can't even get both my hands around. So he is like maybe 100 times stronger than she is. I mean, she's tiny. She's little. Physically, he could crush her, right? Do you think you can take him? You faster? More cunning? <laughs> okay. <laughs> so you can run faster, and you might be able to get a few blows in before he squashes you like a bug? <laughs> okay. So physically, right, he's much stronger than she is. But does that, that doesn't mean the same thing spiritually, right? She could be a lot stronger than him spiritually. If she go not by her own strength, right, but in his strength. It doesn't matter what you look like on the outside. That's why Jesus always said he looks at the heart, not the external, right? What matters is what we do on the inside and, and if we operate in his strength, not our own. Okay, thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Um, so as a follower of Jesus, you have become a new creation in Christ. And as a new creation, there's all these new spiritual realities that we need to be aware of. And then in the second half of the letter, Paul begins to show us what, how to practically live out these spiritual realities. And one of these realities is that because God has an enemy, we have an enemy. As a new creation in Christ, you are at war with evil powers in the unseen world. A final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so you'll be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. For we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Now I know that some of you are probably thinking, yeah, I don't know, man, devil, demons, sounds a little bit weird, right? But the Bible is very clear. There is an invisible world that is just as real as our visible world, right? And here's the thing. If the invisible world, consisting of the devil and demons and God and angels, if that, if that isn't true, then neither is anything we read in our Bible, right? So this passage here is not some isolated, obscure text about the devil. Paul writes about this repeatedly talking about the schemes of the devil who's trying to create bitterness and division in the church. John writes about Satan and his demons frequently throughout his gospel, making the observation that the whole world is under the power of, the, of Satan. Peter writes that the devil roams about looking for those whom he may devour. And Jesus didn't just talk about the devil and demons. He actually spoke to them, and they spoke back, right? So, and, and see, for those of us who are believers of Jesus, you have to admit there's a spiritual world that we can't see going on around us. And the concept of having 
you know, things we can't see isn't really new to us, right? I mean, in this room, there's radio waves and cell phone waves that we can't see, and we know they're very real. Um, and let's not forget germs, right? I have to admit, um, I can be a bit of a germaphobe sometimes. Um, not so much at home, you know, I, I'll pick something up off the floor and eat it. We have a clean house. I'll let the dog lick my face. Um, but where I have a really difficult time is public restrooms, right? Um, and, and what I hate, absolutely hate going into a public restroom and seeing that there's only a hand dryer and no towels, right? Because invariably, I'll be, you know, I'll go to the bathroom, I'll be washing my hands, and then some other guy will walk out of another stall and just go out the door. And I'm thinking, I have to touch that doorknob. Why did you wash your hands? And so, you know, um, it, I, 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 yeah. <laughs> and, I, you know, I get that, that restaurants and other businesses, you know, they're trying to save money and save the environment by the hand dryers, you know, but they obviously don't care about me and my health, right? So I'm, I'm not real happy with those businesses. And, um, I mean, statistics show 60% of men don't wash their hands. And 40% of women, okay? So, I mean, in some places, I, I mean, I love other businesses. They have their act together, right? Because they have paper towels, and they have a trash can right next to the door. So you can take your towel after you wash your hands, open the door with it, and drop it in. And for the businesses who don't do that, I'm an intentional litter bug. I, I will open that door with the towel, or the, if I have to, I'll get some toilet paper. I ain't touching that door handle. And, and I will drop it on the floor behind the door. And there, you know, it probably helps keep people employed because I litter in the bathroom. But anyway, <laughs> and I know, I know some of you guys, <laughs> I know some of you guys use hand sanitizer. Uh, some of you love that stuff, but the idea of hand sanitizer, I don't like. I mean, because if I think I have germs on my hand, I'm going to wash my hands with soap and water and flood, you know, get them down the drain into the sewer where they belong. But, but the idea of using hand sanitizer, if there's germs on my hands and I put this gooey stuff on, all I did was kill them, right? They're still there. All I've done is create a gooey germ graveyard and let it dry, right? No. Yuck. But, you know, we, we freak out about all this stuff, right? Even though we can't see it, it's real. So it's not that much of a stretch for us to believe that something that the unseen world is also very real. The Bible is clear. There's an invisible world. And in this invisible world, there is a conflict between good and evil, and we live in the epicenter of that conflict. And Paul encourages us, look, you have been rescued from the dark side. Now you're going to be at war with it. Just because God rescued out of it, you're going to be at war with it. But the great news is, Jesus has won. He's won the victory. He has secured the victory for you. If you read the book of Revelation, if you go to the end of the book and find out how it ends, you'll see that these evil rulers in the unseen world eventually get obliterated, totally destroyed. So when we're, when we're talking about spiritual warfare, we're not fighting to win. Spiritual warfare is never an attempt to get the victory. We fight 
to enjoy the victory that Jesus has already secured for us. It's standing firm in the victory that we already possess as believers. And God has given us everything we need to do so. God has given you everything you need to stand your ground. Verse 13, therefore put on every piece of God's armor so you'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on, and then he goes on to describe, oh man, sorry. He says, stand your ground, putting on, then he goes on to describe these pieces of armor these spiritual realities that, that he, he, he kind of uses an imagery, the imagery of a soldier's armor to kind of relate to us what the things that God has given us, how they can protect us, right? And it's easy to kind of get lost in some of the imagery and make it more than it really means, right? Like, I remember being at one church, right? And they're like, you got to put on the helmet of salvation, they're like praying this prayer. God, I put on the helmet of salvation and I put on the belt of truth and I put on my breastplate. I mean, they're doing all these motions and they're just praying that they're putting it on, but that's really kind of dumb because if you don't really understand what righteousness is and how it protects you, saying you're putting on the breastplate of righteousness doesn't help you, right? Unless you understand how the assurance of your salvation protects you from attacks of doubt, Saying that you're putting on your helmet of salvation doesn't really help you, right? So, it's, we try not to get lost in some of the imagery. There are spiritual realities, and, and the imagery is just an illustration, okay? Um, but there's all these things available to us to help us stand our ground. And the first thing listed here is the belt of truth. So we're talking about, we're talking about truth here, and, and, and truth is a great defensive weapon against the lies of the enemy, right? Um, in John 8, Jesus has this uh, run-in with the Pharisees, as he did multiple times. Um, and, and listen to what he says to the Pharisees. This is kind of halfway through the run-in. He says, why can't you understand what I'm saying? It's because you can't even hear me. For you are the children of your father, the devil. And you love to do the evil things he does. Can you imagine being there and hearing that? You'd be going, oh, you just said that, you know, freaking out. Um, he was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. The devil is a liar. And listen, can, can I just say something in response to what... Um, Jesus said here, calling the Pharisees the children of the devil. Um, in life, in, in this world, you don't get to be a free agent, right? Um, if you are not a child of God by receiving the gift of salvation, by, by declaring Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life, if you are not a child of God, if you have not trusted in Jesus, thereby God making you his child, if you are not a child of God, you're by default a child of the devil. There's no free agency. You don't get to say, mm, I don't want to be team Jesus. I don't want to be team devil either. I'm just going to be neutral. 
there's no such thing, right? You're either a child of, of, the, of God or a child of the devil. Um, the, the, we are all connected to this invisible spiritual world. And, and there's the kingdom of darkness, and there's the kingdom of light. That's the only two, right? The great news is you get to choose, right? So this battle for truth has been going on since sin entered the world. And you can see how in every letter Paul wrote, he, he's battling for truth for the sake of those he's invested in, for those he's shared the gospel with. Um, Peter, or, um, Peter, the Apostle John, all of them write in their letters about false teachers, and re, he tries to reinforce the truth in them. Um, and this battle rages still today. The battle rages throughout the systems and values of this world that Satan is the god of. Because every single day we are bombarded with lies through the media and through marketing and through arts and through other people and through music and through movies. There's all sorts of ways lies come to us. I mean, despite what the radio tells you, we are not just mammals and should just do what they do on the Discovery Channel, right? Despite what your favorite TV show tells you, it is not okay to, to um, cheat on your spouse. Not okay. Despite what popular opinion tells you, it is not okay to lie, cheat, and steal to get ahead. Despite what society tells you, um, there is absolute truth. Today's society says there's no absolute truth. Truth is what you make it. That is a lie straight from the pit of hell. Because without absolute truth, how, are you, how will you be able to discern a lie? Right? That's ridiculous. The absolute truth of God's word protects you from deception. That's why it's so important for us to read our Bibles. We need to know what the truth of God's word says or we'll not be able to distinguish a tr the truth from a lie. Okay? So the first thing we have in our armory is truth. The second thing is righteousness. Not my righteousness, not your righteousness, but God's righteousness. That's been given to us. Right? The righteousness of God in Christ protects your identity. And the reason we say that it protects your identity is because Scripture tells us that as a new you, as a new creation, you are the righteousness of God in Christ. Um, remember when um, Satan tempted Jesus in uh, Matthew chapter 4? Um, in two of the three temptations... He begins the temptation by saying, if you are the son of God, why did he say that? Because in the previous chapter, what happened, right? He got baptized, remember that? Right before he went to the wilderness, Jesus gets baptized. And then it says that at the close of that chapter, after his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. God spoke from heaven and declared it right there. This is my son. So Jesus knows he's the son of God. The devil knows he's the son of God. Why did he say, if you are the son of God? Because he's trying to get him to question his identity, right? That's one of the enemy's primary strategies. He will do everything he can to make us believe 
that we are less than what we are. And it's, and it's really easy for him to do it because we're not perfect, right? We're far from it. And we make mistakes all the time. And, and invariably, as soon as we screw up, condemnation starts heaping on us, right? We start feeling bad about it, and we start feeling we're less than a child of God, or we begin to question, am I really saved because I did that, you know? And, and it's all because the lies are just pouring in, trying to get you to question that you really are the righteousness of God in Christ, right? That's who we are. Second um, Corinthians 5.21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's who we are. In Christ, we're the righteousness of God. We don't feel like it most of the time. We don't act like it some of the times. But as far as God is concerned, that's who you are. You're his kid. And when he looks at you, he sees the righteousness of God. He sees, because Jesus, everything Jesus did, all the righteousness that he was, God credited that to us when we believed in him. He, he put it in our bank account, our spiritual bank account. We are the righteousness of God in Christ. And the devil tries to get you to question your identity all the time. And, and, this, and this is the scripture that you need to use, 2 Corinthians 5.21, to combat those questions of identity that you're, a child, that you're actually a child of God, the righteousness of God in Christ. All right, so we have... Some defensive weapons of the defensive weapons of truth and righteousness given to us through Christ that helps us stand our ground. Next thing listed here is the preparation of the gospel of peace, the shoes. Um, how does that help us stand our ground? I mean, I get the imagery of shoes with the gospel means that we're ready to go and share um, the gospel, but I think it's more than that actually, because um, one of the again one of the enemy's strategies is to get you to lose sight of your purpose. We can go into the world with a lot of different messages, can't we? But carrying the message of the gospel confirms your purpose. Paul said in Romans 1, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. So we have truth, we have righteousness, we have the gospel that helps confirm and maintain our purpose. Then there's the shield of faith. Verse 16, in addition to all these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery darts or arrows of the devil. This is one of my favorites because you can use this with basically every attack that comes your way. Um, And that's why I believe it says, in addition to this, and other versions say, above all this, you know, kind of elevating the shield of faith above above everything else. Um, And I think it kind of offers some redundancy in protection, like if you think of armor, right? An arrow is not going to pierce armor, but then you got a shield, so there's like some redundancy, right? Um, 
Um, so this shield comes from our faith. And faith in this context means our trust in God, you know, that we trust him. Um, but there's another very important word in this verse. Um, let me read it from the New King James. It says, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked one. The NIV says, in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith which, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. So this word extinguish or quench or stop in the New, in the new Living that we read um, is a very interesting word, and it only appears a couple of times in Scripture. Um, the other time that we see it appear is in, um, when it talks about quenching the Spirit. Um, Paul talks about, I think it's in... Um, 1 Corinthians, how we can, if we're not careful, um, quench a move of the Spirit in a service like this, right? And for, for us to be able to quench that, that what it, what the word, this, this Greek word that's, that's um, translated quench or extinguish literally means to treat as nothing, right? If, we, if there's a Spirit, if, if the Spirit of God is moving, and we kind of just treat it as nothing, we're, we quench it, right? But the same is true of the fiery darts of the evil one. If we treat those as nothing, they're quenched, right? Um, and see, the more... Um, your, so let's, let me give you the, the, the point here. Your trusting God enables you to give the devil's attacks no weight, Right? So the more you have trust or faith in God, the less you're going to be moved by the devil's attacks. When an attack of fear comes your way, how many times have you, how many have been attacked by an attack of fear? Everybody's hands should be up, yeah. Um, if you treat it as nothing, you're quenching it, right? Sometimes, I mean, where does that saying come from? We have nothing to fear but fear itself. It's because there's something going on in the spiritual realm that just comes out of nowhere, if we actually trust God with our lives, we should have nothing to fear ever. But it comes all the time. A spirit of fear will come and it'll, it'll attack, but if we treat it as nothing, no. You quench it, right? It, it, just, it, it doesn't have the ability to take, and, and I think the, the imagery of fire is, is important too, because if we don't treat it as nothing, it can start burning out of control, right? And so we have to quench that thing before it does damage, right? So when an attack of fear comes your way, treat it as nothing because you trust God with your life. When a lie comes your way that has potential to move you off course, you treat it as nothing. You trust, your trust in God is a shield of faith against the attacks of the enemy. Another strategy of the devil is to get you, as a child of God, to doubt your salvation. How many have ever doubted your salvation? Yeah, all of us. Um, I mean, you're not perfect, you're going to mess up, and invariably the devil will try to get you to doubt your salvation. But God gives us the helmet of salvation in the form of assurance that um, helps us with this. The assurance of your salvation guards you from attacks of doubt. Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9, God saved you by his grace when you believed. 
and you can't take credit for it. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done, so none of us can boast about it. What this means is that you did nothing to earn your salvation. So you can't do anything to lose it. Right? Our salvation is secure, and God has even given us a down payment of our salvation in the form of the Holy Spirit that he placed within us. That's our down payment. That's our, our guarantee. It's another reason why we need to read our Bibles. Right? In 1 John 5, verse 13, the Apostle John says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you will know that you have eternal life. We should all have assurance of our salvation, so much so that we never doubt it again, right? And that's the helmet of salvation. So we have all these defensive weapons here in our armory, but we also have an offensive one. <clears throat> the word of God is the weapon that you use to fight back. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. See, for us to use our sword, say, say that you're trying to combat a lie. You've got to be able to use what the Word of God says to be able to combat the lie, Right? You've got to be able to use your sword. And a lot of times you just can't think it because the devil can't read your mind, right? <laughs> You've got to say it. You've got to speak it with your mouth. Um, turn over to Matthew chapter 4. I want us to look at this, um, this encounter that Jesus had with the devil in the, in the wilderness. This is where Jesus gets baptized in chapter 3. Then he goes, um, then, then as chapter 4 starts, it says, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights he fasted and he became very hungry. During that time, the devil came to him. It wasn't just a demon, this is the devil. I mean, this is, we're talking about the Son of God here. They sent a big one. They sent the devil after him. The devil came and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. I mean, Jesus is hungry, right? That's a pretty big temptation. But Jesus told him, no. The scriptures say, people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up to the holy, the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple, and said, if you are the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say, now, this is important, <laughs> Because the devil will use scripture and he will twist it, right? He did it with Eve. He, he used God's word and he twisted it, right? He did it with Jesus here too. So he, this is, a, oh man, we got to know what the Bible says. Because if we have just an idea of what it says, we're susceptible to him twisting it, right? He says, for the scriptures say, he will order his angels to protect you. And they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Jesus responded, the scriptures also say you must not test the Lord your God. Next, the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. 
I will give it all to you, he said, if you will kneel down and worship me. Get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him, for the scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. So what did Jesus do every time the devil tried to tempt him? He pulled out a sword, didn't he? He he fought back with the sword, the word of God, the sword of the spirit. And, and, and man, we've got to read our Bibles, y'all. We've got to read our Bibles. We've got to know what it says. We've got to know what the truth it is. I mean, how else are you going to be able to use your sword against the attacks of the enemy? How else are you going to be able to fight off temptation if you don't know what it says? So God has given us all these things to stand our ground in the spiritual battle that we face. But is that it? I mean, do we like just dig a foxhole and stand our ground and wait for Jesus to come, you know, um, exfiltrate us? No. Jesus has also empowered us to take the battle to the enemy, to storm the gates of hell and to snatch people from the flames. He's, He's enabled us to take ground. At the end of Matthew's Gospel, Jesus gives us a commission. We call it the Great Commission. Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And we see this reflected in Paul's comments at the close of this letter. He says in verse 18, Pray in the Spirit at all times on every occasion. Stay alert, be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. And pray for me too. Ask God to give me the right words so I can boldly explain God's mysterious plan that the good news is for Jews and Gentiles alike. I am in chains now, still preaching this message as God's ambassador. So pray that I will keep on speaking boldly for him as I should. God has given us a message of hope to proclaim boldly. But it doesn't come easy, does it? The reason it doesn't come easy is because Satan has blinded the minds of unbelievers from understanding the gospel. 2 Corinthians 4.4 says, Satan who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. Now you can read that and say, well, why would I even bother sharing the gospel if they can't see it, right? It's not that they won't ever be able to. He's blinded them doesn't mean they can't. Again, we've been commissioned with a purpose, right? We're commissioned to share the gospel with others for their salvation, right? Because we read earlier that the gospel is the power to salvation. But how do we do that exactly when the devil has blinded them, right? You can make the mistake that that most of us have probably made, and 
you try to share the gospel, the devil's blind to them, and all you end up is an argument, right? You're, you, you try to convince them of the truth, and then you end up in an argument. Um, I mean, because you can be so passionate about the truth that, that you know is life-changing, and because they're unable to see it, your approach it sometimes will turn into an argument over something that's totally irrelevant. I mean, no joke. In one of those, those conversations I had where I was trying to convince someone who was close to me, their response was, well, how do we know Christmas was actually on December 25th? What? I mean, that's irrelevant, but that became the argument. <laughs> um, it, became, it turned into an argument over the, cal- over the calendar because they couldn't see what was really important. So how do we avoid this? We have to go to battle. Before you share the gospel, go to battle. I mean, for those who, for those, for us who try and share the gospel without first doing some spiritual warfare through prayer, which is the example Paul gave us at the end of this letter, pray for me that I may boldly proclaim. And, and honestly, none of you got saved without somebody praying for you first. Right? We've got to pray for people. We've got to pray for them, for their eyes to be opened so that they can see. Where the enemy has blinded them, we've got to pray for them. Um, I mean, it's like going bear hunting with a pocket knife if we don't, right? Cause, cause, and they're just going to eat you up, and, and, and you're going to get discouraged about sharing your, the gospel, and you're never going to even try it again. 2 Corinthians uh, 10, verse 3 through 5 says, We are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. Isn't that amazing? I mean, we have the power to reverse what the enemy has done in someone's life. Where he has blinded them, we can destroy every proud obstacle that keeps them from knowing God. That's amazing. Not by engaging in an argument to try and win them over, but by engaging in spiritual warfare first and then simply sharing the good news and letting it do its work. It has the power to save. Not you. It. So we have... All of God's power behind us. In chapter 2, there's this one verse that says that we are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. That means we have all the power of heaven behind us. We are children of God. We're the righteousness of God in Christ. We are new creatures. Not because of anything we did. Because everything Jesus did. He just gave it to us. So what are we going to do with it? Don't be a spiritual wimp. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much thank you for all the amazing, rich blessings that 
the first half of Ephesians talks about. Thank you, God, that we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing. Things like peace and joy and never-ending unconditional love towards us. The ability to even give that love out to other people. The ability to receive mercy and give mercy. Receive grace and give grace. God, I pray for for all of us that we would walk in this new life that you've given us. It's so easy, God, to lose sight of what we have and just try to walk through this life in our, old, in our own strength or even as the old us. Not even considering the power that's available to us. But I pray for all of us, God, that you would open our eyes. Help us to understand the power that is available to us who believe. The same power that raised Christ from the dead. It's available to us. Help us to understand who we really are as new creations, as new born believers. Help us to understand who we are as children of the King, of the God of creation. Help us to understand that we're in this world, but not, we're not of this world. Help us to stand up against the temptation that comes our way, knowing who we are, knowing that we are the righteousness of God, knowing that we have eternal salvation, knowing that we have a message to boldly proclaim and knowing that we can rely on our trust in God to fight off every attack of the enemy. I pray that you would help us, God, to get back in our word, to get back in the Bible, to know what it actually says so that we can use it. And I thank you, God, that your word is also very clear. Our fight is not against flesh and blood. The enemy is not our boss. The enemy is not our husband or wife or a brother or sister. The enemy is not our friend that we're crossways with. There's an enemy, and he's trying to steal, kill, and destroy everything God has given us. And I pray that you would help us, God, to stand our ground, not give up. And that that we would also have the boldness to go take some ground, to rescue people, just as we were. 
thank you, God, for all of these things. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone says, Amen.